Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. A lot of um, interrelated endocrinology, which is all, luckily, benefited from LDN. So the problem here can be that um, LDN might be useful in all of these situations, but doctors aren't going to ask about them because it's not in their purview. Oh, I don't treat psychiatric symptoms, so I'm not going to ask about them. Or the patients go to see their GI doctor or the rheumatologist. Well, I'm not going to tell them about these other symptoms because I'm here to just talk about my joints or just talk about my GI symptoms. So the whole person gets lost in that process. So that's why it's on us because obviously we're here and we want to see the person get better. We have to ask about the whole person, ask about all of these symptoms, and then we'll start to see, ah, there's a syndrome here. There's a constellation of symptoms that can all be helped by LDN. And often I'll say LDN plus fill in the blank. And we've already heard a lot of good uh, combination therapies. I think there'll be a couple more in here from Dr. Shookman that you might find useful and applicable, even if you're not a psychiatrist. So his definition, tired brain syndrome. The syndrome is, of course, the constellation, and this is the first presentation of it, the first time it's um, offered in public. So I'm going to put my little two cents in here uh, with his permission, but this is basically how he would see it defined in the DSM-6, I'm suggesting. We might see it. So there would have to be five or more symptoms present, and uh, in a two-week period, of course, it could be more than a two-week period, and it would have to represent a change in functioning, yes. It would also have to uh, not meet the criteria for major depressive disorder, ADHD, OCD, obstructive sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome. These are um, alcohol use disorders and opioid use disorders. You'll see some overlap. Uh, but they have to be differentiated. So also, of course, it would have to cause a change or significant problem to ADLs. So let's hear how the patients would describe this. And then we have to translate the patient's story into medical terminology. So here are some of the things that you might hear. I'm not really depressed, but I'm not happy either. I might get irritable and snap for no reason, but then I get over it, but the damage is done. Or they might say, I just function better under stress. Like, I procrastinate. I can't get anything done unless I'm under this crazy kind of pressure. My mind wanders. I can't focus. I plan uh, or start a new project, but then I can't finish it. I don't have the attention. Or I have no energy. I'm dragging through the day. I wake up completely unrefreshed. I don't even know what morning freshness feels like anymore. I lie on the couch after work and space out. Here's another one. I eat for comfort. My carbs keep me going. If I don't have afternoon sweets or caffeine, I crash. I use more alcohol than I should. So these are um, probably very common symptoms. You've heard these, right? Okay, so we put them all together, and we have a possible new syndrome. So here's how I would translate those into medical terms. These would be the symptoms 
that create the uh, syndrome. So the first one is mood decline. We saw that with a person who doesn't have that spark anymore. They don't feel good, even in good situations, flat affect or um, irritable, easily angered, that sort of thing. The anhedonia is lack of interest and, of course, not participating, not having the um, interest in doing what they normally enjoy. Third one, OCD spectrum disorder. So it's not full-blown OCD, but the spectrum is that they don't trust their brain to think as it should. So they're making 100 lists. None of us do that, right? We don't make lists. Um, we repeat ourselves multiple times. Um, we're over-labeling everything to try to super-organize because the brain function is not there. It becomes a little compulsive. That's the spectrum of OCD. Cognitive decline has to do with that brain fog, which leads to some of these compulsive behaviors. Being absent-minded, requiring a familiar routine so that they feel secure in what they're doing. So that cognitive decline leads to some of those, um, as I said, compulsive disorder behaviors. One of my favorite ICD-10 codes, which I use pretty frequently, is mild cognitive impairment, so stated. So the patient says, right? It doesn't show up on my MMSE. There's nothing diagnosable, but the patient said, I'm not feeling quite right in the brain. It's, um, it's G31.84, if you want to use that. comes in handy. Um, the other pieces of this syndrome you'll see are some attention deficit issues. Can't focus, can't sustain attention or stamina on projects. Their mind wanders. And then fatigue. This is the physical energy that, you know, they can't finish their activities at the end of the day. They're not waking refreshed in the morning. And then carb cravings, which we see they need to push through the day. This can also be um, adrenal fatigue. So you're seeing bits and pieces of different syndromes, right? Um, finally, sleep changes too much or too little, feeling wired but tired, and uh, feeling, again, that they either can't sleep or they could sleep all the time. So changes in sleep. These are proposed symptoms for tired brain syndrome. All right, easily... Um, misdiagnosed or diagnosed with a few of these other syndrome psychiatric issues that you've um, probably recognized as I went through those. So ADD, major depression, addiction, eating disorders, chronic fatigue, OCD. And we know that these all fall under one umbrella because all of them are they're connected under the umbrella of infl inflammation. So sleep deprivation, the ADD symptoms, and the OCD symptoms, Dr. Shookman proposed were kind of at the center of this syndrome. And all of them are affected by inflammation. That's why LDN works on all of them. Now, they can lead into other either symptoms or full-blown comor comorbidities like the autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysregulation, which I alluded to at the beginning, and full-blown cognitive problems. We're seeing Alzheimer's come up as an inflammatory disease now. So there's a range of symptoms, and if we can catch it early in this tired brain syndrome, we might be able to prevent some of these other full-blown syndromes that can be really, really devastating and not just annoying or keeping us from sleeping uh, or sleeping well.
I added in the upper right corner there food sensitivities, adrenal insufficiency, and stress. So these can be caused from the central triad, or they can also contribute to it. So you might be testing for food sensitivities, and it plays into this. You might be testing for cortisol. Cortisol may or may not be off, but you're starting to see symptoms already. The good news is we're treating all of it. But looking for this will help you know more specifically how to treat it. Uh, Dr. Shookman, he's got a good sense of humor, and he pointed out that if you just Google some of these symptoms, you see them show up together. So Google knows they go together. And then if we look at our medical research, you'll see a much more technical and in-depth descriptions of how all of these symptoms are tied together. So how do we treat them? Um, first of all, you might see people coming in with autoimmune conditions and some of these other symptoms. And like we said, the rheumatologist will be treating an autoimmune condition, but they might not be ask, asking about how's your sleep, how's your daytime energy, how's your brain functioning? That may not be treated, and so then the LDN is gonna fall through the cracks because the rheumatologist probably isn't giving LDN as first-line therapy for autoimmune conditions. However, if they're seeing you for something like hormone replacement or depression, maybe you're overtly treating that, now you have an opportunity to bring it all together and work with the other medications. So for example, um, treating autoimmune disease, we've got prescriptions such as methotrexate, Plaquenil, works just fine with LDN. In fact, LDN might help them work better. And we've heard some other speakers say how you can start to lower the doses on those medications and reduce side effects. So that can be really helpful. Treating inflammation, which we saw was at the core of all of that, um, also benefits from certain prescriptions. Um, if you see the inflammation coming up, particularly like musculoskeletal pain, you might have them on Celebrex. Of course, checking to see that um, liver function's okay. They don't have ulcers or GERD or something like that before you start a Celebrex. Uh, but that can be really helpful for the inflammation. Of course, we um, can use things like minocycline, so this is a broad-spectrum antibiotic. We know dermatologists use this for months at a time for skin conditions and has been shown to help with inflammation, again, in conjunction with LDN. So broad-spectrum, you're just seeing, like, low-grade malaise. I don't feel good. I ache all the time. I get sick frequently. Minocycling and LDN works well together. Of course, as a naturopath, I'm going to add in things like diet and lifestyle, um, we had our previous panel point out that you really can't ignore that. You want to include that as part of your coaching to your patient. So um, anti-inflammatory diet, I've got a handout I give my patients. I'll be happy to share with you um, what to eat, what not to eat, top 10 foods for each category. Real straightforward, and it's a good starting place to get your patients knowing what to eat, what not to eat for inflammation. So sleep, we know we have to treat that. Sleep itself is anti-inflammatory. So we've got to get our patients sleeping. Um, I love the app Insight Timer. You probably have your own apps or ways to get them into a, a nice, um, you know, delta, theta brain waves. They've got binaural music that you can use, all kinds of ways to help your patients sleep without adding another medication, um, relaxation techniques, breathing techniques, and so on. So interesting, if you see also um, 
the C-reactive protein, see we've got, there it is, um, high, an inflammation marker, of course you might be running sed rate or homocysteine, however else you're measuring inflammation, then that also can direct your treatment. So one of the ways um, Dr. Shookman was using this is adding ketamine. Um, I don't use ketamine, but there are other ways to increase dopamine and um, reduce those kind of side effects, such as restless leg syndrome. So we're looking for how do you know if they, if they need something along that line, a dopamine agonist. Well, restless leg syndrome uh, cravings, such as the carbs or dairy, if you see that, cheese and dairy cravings, sweets, might indicate a low dopamine situation. In that case, um, something like Welbutrin or Mirapex can be helpful, and that's going to bring up dopamine at the same time you're reducing inflammation. You might use some something like Macuna as well. This is you know, way before we get to the Parkinson's level. You'll start to see some of these symptoms. So um, adaptogens, adrenal support, we saw a few of those symptoms come up. And again, may not be overtly um, Addison's or full-blown adrenal fatigue, but certainly supporting the adrenals using some adaptogens can be helpful to just get them feeling better and increase their stamina, their energy, and improve their sleep. All right, we have, uh, perfect, we're going to go to um, a case study that focuses a little bit more on the depression side of this and kind of segue into my area of expertise. There it is, nice. it went. It disappeared. Okay. So for me, um, I love just coaching my patients and talking to them about nutrition. We work on lifestyle. Um, we, you know, we listen to our patients as part of treating the whole person, asking lots of good questions. And of course, it builds trust and rapport. But uh, one thing I didn't want to do was emergency medicine, right? You work in life and death situations, time crunches, pressure, all eyes on you. Bless the people who do it. That's not me. So in fact, um, there was a point in time many, many years ago, I thought, well, I'll just be a mortician. You can't really mess that up, right? Anyway, you can, I suppose. Um, but we do find ourselves in situations that can be life-threatening and scary. And today, what I want you to know or feel confident about is not being afraid to treat people with major depressive disorder, to be able to talk to your patients when they have suicidal ideation. It can be a little scary, and we need to be there for our patients. This might show up because what we see is a person who has chronic illness or chronic pain probably has some element of depression in their life. These three go back and forth and especially in chronic illness. So let's be prepared to talk to them about some of the other issues that they're struggling with besides just the pain. So I want you to not only to be able to rec recognize major depressive disorder, but have a plan to help them. Um, feel a little more confident about your role in helping them with major depressive disorder and learn some dosing options and some adjunct therapies that work really well with LDN for depression. I'm going to refer back to this slide. I'm sorry about the tiny print. You're probably familiar with it. Even if you don't treat 
psychiatric conditions, you learned it in medical school, and it's just a little refresher, okay? So five or more symptoms of MDD would be um, depressed mood most of the day or nearly every day, the anhedonia, weight loss or weight gain, um, a decrease, slowing down in physical movement or thought process, fatigue or physical loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or inappropriate guilt, Number seven, inability to think, so back to that cognitive decline. And number eight, uh, recurrent thoughts of death. So this is suicidal ideation that is, is there. It can show up, and we need to know what to do with it. Here are the five questions. This is just for your information, a little refresher, so that if th this does come into your office, you remember to ask. Ask them straightforward. You're not you know, stimulating thoughts of suicide if they're already having them. And if they're not, they're going to tell you, no, I'm not. But we need to be confident enough to ask these questions. Have you, have they had thoughts of killing themselves or wishes? Have they thought about how they might do it? Do they have an intention? Do they have the means? And do they have a date? I also wanted to uh, provide this for you. Uh, I have little cards, or you can have just one flyer that's handy, a phone number, and also I found this text, 741741, and it also works in the UK, so that's for US and UK people, text for support when someone's in a crisis, it's good to have on hand. All right, so my case is a 40-year-old Hispanic female, and she had a 25-year history of major depressive disorder. Um, interestingly, she had a traumatic brain injury at the age of eight, which was life-threatening, and she didn't seem to think it was important, but we know it probably is, right? So we have a history of really severe brain inflammation, which she recovered from, but again, inflammation tied into um, how are we going to treat this patient? She had uh, the excessive sleep, a lot of fatigue, uh, very much lack of interest in daily activities, and what brought her into my office, unwanted weight gain, right? <laughs> so don't just treat the weight gain. Find out that you're also treating major depressive disorder. Okay. Um, back to this slide. I've put in bold here how my patient, this particular patient, qualified for major depressive disorder. She had the depress depressed mood most of the day, 25 years, uh, markedly diminished interest in activity. She would come home and be done. Now, she did hold down a job, but her husband came with her to the appointment and talked about how their life consisted of laying on the couch, sleeping all, all night, all weekend. The weekends pretty much were spent sleeping, and waking hours were spent crying. And that was what I saw in my office as well, just tears, tears, tears. So... Uh, she did have this unintentional weight gain in her case, which thankfully is what brought her into my office. Um, skipping down to number five, severe fatigue. Real burden for her to get up in the mornings and, of course, making up for it on the weekends. And diminished ability to think, concentrate. She was indecisive and um, had suffered with that for many, many years. Here are all the medications she had tried. So the other reason that she probably came to me was she hears this, um, you know, a lot of patients get to the end of their treatment, they've gone through all this, and what do they hear? 
I can't help you anymore. I can't do anything else for you. We've tried all of our treatments. I see a lot of head nods. This is, this is when we see patients that have this constellation of symptoms. There's more than one thing going on, and it might be an unusual presentation of what's going on. So um, dosing also is important. I want to point out that um, some of these, like, herbs, acupuncture, I don't know the dosing. I don't know how long she tried them. So your persistence and your accuracy in dosing is also going to be pretty important. There we go. So did my due diligence, ran a thorough set of labs, made sure she didn't have uh, nu nutrient deficiencies going on, which certainly can play a big role in a lot of these processes. Checked her thyroid, cholesterol. Her vitamin D, I'm so glad this came up earlier, it was 33, which, guess what? That would not be treated conventionally, would it? But we know it's not optimal. So I did start her on a good oral dose of vitamin D, uh, not afraid to do 10,000. I use a day orally. In fact, if it's under 20, I give them a shot, 50,000 I use, and then add the oral after a couple of weeks. So we did that. Her inflammation markers were um, borderline high, I would say. So it was something to take note of. The myeloperoxidase there was in the borderline, a little bit high. And that is... Uh, marker for atherosclerosis and plaque formation, endothelial dysfunction. So it's a marker of inflammation within the circulatory system, systemic inflammation. Also, interestingly, she was hypoglycemic, and her blood sugar was 79, her A1C 4.9, and her insulin 2.5. So just processing food was becoming a problem for her. And so now, remember back to that big graphic where inflammation was at the top, add diabetes to the list, okay? So she's not able to properly uh, process her carbs, and yet she was craving them because that's what kept her awake and alert in the day. So it's a, kind of a vicious circle. Her hormones were normal in this case, except testosterone, which was low. And check out that cortisol, 4.3. How do you even wake up in the morning? I don't know. Um, so we did work on some of these. It, and again, it's not full-blown Addison's. We're, we didn't go down that route, but obviously we have some other things going on. Um, her omega-3s were the other um, marker that we could work on nutritionally, and the excess omega-6, which is inflammatory. So we brought that back into uh, normal range with diet. I did run her neurotransmitters with a saliva test, and guess what? These were all normal. So this is a patient who is not low in serotonin. She doesn't need an SSRI, and it explains why she didn't respond to a lot of those conventional medications. So what did we do? We started with uh, the low-dose naltrexone, of course, and I did a one milligram at first. I increased by half milligram dosing every two weeks, we were up to 2 milligrams by June, 3 milligrams by July, 4.5 by August. Uh, I did start with the liquid, and I'd love to hear some feedback on this, but um, I, liquid has been difficult for me to find a good, stable source, at least here in the U.S., um, and also one that's palatable and <laughs> doesn't go bad quickly. So after a while, we did switch to tablets, and I've found that those are pretty easy to titrate as well when they're... Um, tab scored in the middle. Thank you. So uh, that's when we also switched to um, 
the th at three milligrams is actually when we switch to that for her. Now, bedtime dosing, it can help with sleep. So I had a really interesting conversation with Dr. Shookman about this. We're, we kind of shy away from the vivid dreams and we think, oh, it's going to disturb their sleep and they already have sleep disruption and they're tired. But what do vivid dreams mean? They're in REM sleep, right? They're getting deep sleep, finally. And um, the key question is actually, are you waking refreshed? So I, that was helpful for me just to know, yes, warn them about the vivid dreams, but don't be afraid of them. Just ask how you're sleeping. Do you feel better? And then it's okay. So I, I know that morning dosing is just fine. I've seen it work really well. I don't think it affects the efficacy of the medication, but maybe maybe they could benefit from having some vivid dreams. So I kind of liked that conversation with Dr. Shookman. And the other thing I wanted to point out, not in this particular case, I have a different case, which I won't have time to go into today, but she was a patient who I started at one milligram, very similar, got up to, it was at two or 2.5. She started having some side effects that she was really not comfortable with. I conferred with an expert in that area from our colleagues here, and uh, we ended up backing it back down. Again, it was a, it was a weird side effect, actually. Her cycles were disrupted, um, like annoyingly irregular cycles, and it was hard to attribute it to the LDN. However, we have to listen to our patients, and that's what she connected that was the only change we brought it back down and guess what her sweet spot was 1.5 milligrams she was seeing benefit she was another patient who dramatically pulled out of a really really sad dark depression and was level at this 1.5 milligram without the side effects so that was her landing spot so just keep that in mind it doesn't have to be the 4.5 i would titrate up slowly and find out where is your patient seeing benefit without the side effects so for her, here are some of the other things we did. And um, we know that her testosterone was low, her um, cortisol was super low, so I gave her DHEA, I gave her an adrenal support, and of course the vitamin D. Castor oil packs, it's like a naturopathic favorite. If you haven't experienced these, just grab some good quality castor oil, a nice flannel, and give yourself a little spa treatment. Um, I have some patients who, if they've been with me for over a year, and I'm like, you don't, you don't have a castor oil pack kit? What, what have I done wrong? Uh, it works marvelously. So this was for, um, depends where you put it, but for her, she actually had some constipation as well. So we applied this to the lower abdomen. Of course, I went through the dietary recommendations for inflammation and constipation. We did seed cycling for her hormones. So this is a way also to reset the essential fatty acids. Seed cycling, I'm not going to go into it, but if you're interested, just make a note of it. It's easily found online. But the way it works is that you're targeting certain omegas in one half of a female cycle and different omegas in a, in a different part. For men, it works too. The cycling isn't quite as important, but it's a matter of getting the right essential fatty acids in to balance that omega-6, omega-3 ratio. And, of course, we did some sleep hygiene changes, um, let her sleep, but also encouraged um, the body to be a little more alert during the day and eventually evened out her sleep, thank goodness. So here's what we saw. And this was 16 months later, okay? Now, this top chart, 
look at the little word at the top, it's really a measure of her motivation. She had low, low, low motivation. You know that exercise is good for depression, right? But try getting a depressed person to exercise. <laughs> it's catch-22. So we got her motivation back. And yes, it's listed as anhedonia, but the flip side here, motivation went up dramatically over the 16 months. I used a scale of 0 to 10, so it's subjective, but it was absolute 0 at the beginning of treatment and went up to a 9 by month 16. Her depression um, severity on a scale of 1 to 10 was 10 at the beginning, and after 16 months was down to a 2 out of 10. So I call that a good success. Then remember the other markers that were just off not necessarily a particular diagnosis of diabetes, maybe a little hypoglycemia, but definitely markers to watch and correct. And one was her fasting insulin. So that went up from 2.5 to 4. So at least it was functional. It wasn't great, but it was functional. <laughs> and her morning cortisol went up from 4 to over 8. So more than doubled. And um, we can see her, re her adrenals are starting to come alive again. And then here's what she had to say. So, of course, the patient's report is uh, the proof in the pudding, right? Her depression, resolved. Her the anhedonia, lack of motivation, very much improved. The weight gain was stabilized. But interestingly, even though she didn't get back to her college weight or her ideal weight, she wasn't worried about it anymore. She's okay. She's like, I feel good. So I would call that stabilized. Her energy uh, greatly improved, and her cognitive function, that brain fog, the ability to focus, be decisive, and think, greatly improved. Uh, Numbers-wise, her glucose came up, insulin came up, cortisol came up, vitamin D, she probably needed a shot because that only came up a little bit. Um, her motivation came up a lot. Depression went down. And at this point, it's so interesting to have these relationships with patients because then all these things stabilize, and they're like, after 16 months, yeah, but what about this? But you know what? What about my exercise program? Well, what about my meditation, my spiritual life? You get to go into all these other areas of their life that were just put way on the back burner when they had these other more pressing issues. So now you get to really, really treat the whole person, and that's pretty gratifying. So I wanted to give you some ideas about other therapies that I used uh, in conjunction, some of these with her, um, not all of them, of course, but one that has a lot of good research behind it is low-level light therapy. Uh, Dr. Hamlin out of Harvard is doing a lot of research on this, specific to depression. But it's red and near-infrared light. It's kind of like the um, energetic equivalent of LDN. It's just light. So it treats everything. It's not picky. And depending on the wavelengths you use and where you place it, you're going to get different results. So for depression, we'd put it on the brain stem. I happen to have a device that's LED. Um, works just as well as laser. It just takes longer. And also, it doesn't have the bad effect of possibly burning you. So that's why I went with an LED device. Um, really good research on that, but it does need to be used pretty frequently, three times a week. It reduces inflammation. Low-level light works on the mitochondria. And so it um, supports ATP production. It supports antioxidant action. 
and therefore reduces inflammation. So different mechanism of action from LDN, but a really great adjunct. Um, Ayurvedically, we uh, have ashwagandha, which reduces antibodies, especially with the thyroid, supports the adrenal. Uh, it does usually take a little bit of time, whereas something like saffron works really quickly for depression. So um, there's a nice combo. If you see a combo with saffron in it, that'll have a quick action, as well as some of the other herbs that take a little longer. Bacopa for cognitive function. Of course, gut and liver support, since we know um, our neurotransmitters are made in the gut. Let's make sure we're treating that and we're having good digestion. We finally got her exercising. If you have no motivation, you're not going to exercise. So we fixed that first, and then we got the exercise improving. She felt better. Everything just kept um, improving from there. CBD is a good adjunct. I know we're going to hear a lot about that, so I'll leave it there. Um, nutrient repletion. There's a good test you can do on micronutrients. If you're not sure which nutrients are low, Go ahead and run that whole panel. Um, there's a couple different labs that are doing that now. Can I say lab names? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so I use SpectraCell. Uh, there's a few out there that run it, though. I think Vibrant's got one, too. And then lifestyle changes. These take time. So maybe you can have some handouts if you're short on time. I have the luxury of being able to spend an hour or so with each of my patient visits. And so we get to talk about that. How are you going to implement lifestyle changes? How are you going to implement dietary changes? What does meditation look like? I give them some examples. Hey, here's one of my favorites. So they go home with actual knowledge about what to do. The other one that I have found with this is to give them permission to take baby steps. You know when they say, ask your doctor about starting an exercise plan? Well, here's the plan. Go slow. Because if you have done no exercise for 25 years, don't expect to exercise five days a week. A, you're not going to like it. <laughs> B, it's probably not good for you. And so a plan might actually be do one thing one day a week. In two weeks, add another day of exercise. And it might take you two months to get up to exercising five days a week, and that's okay. So give them permission to be patient with their progress. So um, if you have any questions about uh, like light therapy, adjunct therapy, uh, that's sort of my area of expertise. Dr. Shookman um, wished he could be here, but I know he'll be watching this, and I thank him for sharing his um, life's work and his new idea. So first time presented here, tired brain syndrome. Um, if you have any questions for him, I believe his information is still in the brochure, and we'll both be happy to discuss that. So thanks. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.